even while I was doing a lot of this, I was completely ignorant of the fact that God had called us into these really, these deeper relationships in the body of Christ, because it was never, that was, I don't think that was ever taught when I was mm. young. We were created for relationship. And unfortunately, we're broken in relationships, usually with those closest to us. I kind of put God into the same category as my dad, which was he was absent, passive. Um, and if I went to him with a need, was he actually going to be there? And I think my default mm. assumption was that he wasn't going to be there. Just doubts in general about how can I still, as a Christian woman or man, young person, be struggling with these things when I've put my faith in Christ? What am I doing wrong? What would you say to that person? Mm. So there's a real place, I believe, in the body of Christ for solid Christ-centered counseling. Just because, and, and this is important, just because someone says that they're a Christian counselor doesn't necessarily mean, not that they're not Christian, they, they may, they hopefully are Christian personally, but how are they integrating that into their professional practice, if that makes sense? And, um, and that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about. How powerful it is rather than only doing a one-off on occasion, right. that we actually orient our lives around having eyes for others and around building community and around drawing people out and letting them know that we're safe places for them to share anything with and to be prayed for so that we can walk with them and, and see real healing take place in their lives. everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. Those of you who are tuning in through Love and Truth Network, welcome. Those of you who may have found us through Transforming Congregations, we're so glad that you're here as well. And I have a special treat. Of course, I say that every week when I'm introducing someone, but this is certainly a special treat for me as well. The first time that we opened up our podcast, Melissa and I were together just kind of introducing the podcast and talking a little bit more about our ministry. And so, uh, it's fun to connect with people for the very first time sometimes and have interviews or to catch up with old friends and have interviews, but it's always, uh, it's quite unique and should be, uh, to have, uh, our, uh, one spouse on the other end of the interview. So thanks Melissa for, uh, being here with us. And I'm excited about the topic we're going to be talking about or topics, I guess, uh, related to groups and the value of groups, as well as, uh, how counseling plays a role in the the healing and the really the maturation process that can happen for us as we are moving more and more toward the image of of Christ as believers. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to yeah, having a great conversation like we always do. Yeah, good. <laughs> yes, of course. And, and hey, I um I asked Melissa for those of you again tuning in, watching or or listening, I asked Melissa if she would in light of the the topic that we're talking about with groups and counseling, if she'd share a little bit of her own testimony. Now, she has a long testimony on our website, 45 minutes or so, and we've also reduced our testimonies down to like 12 minutes and even, you know, 3 minute promotional testimonies. So you can see what you'd like to on our website about Melissa's specific testimony, but 
what I've asked her to share a, a little bit about is for maybe 10 or 15 minutes or so on how groups or counseling, uh, how how the body of Christ in, a, in kind of a discipleship fashion or maybe an inner healing program kind of um, method has been beneficial to her in her uh, growth and maturing in Christ. So Melissa, would you just share with our audience a little bit about that, your story as it relates to the healing and the help and support that you found in the body of Christ through groups and, and perhaps in counseling? Sure. Yeah, I really um, came into uh, my healing journey bound up in a ton of shame. And mm. part of that was my family never talked about anything. Um, mm. and there was a lot of shame and silence around my parents, uh, marriage breaking up and my dad not being around. And then there was also just a lot of, um, hidden, I think, sexual behavior that had gone on in my childhood. And so when I came to the first program, which was Living Waters, I couldn't even look at people in the eye. And uh, Mm. my gaze was like fixed to the floor. And I was bound up in all of this shame because I didn't understand why I had a problem with masturbation, with fantasy. I didn't understand why I was same-sex attracted and at the same time also attracted to men. And I was very confused. And one of the things that I uh, encourage people is that we were created for relationship. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we're broken in relationships, usually with those closest to us. And so we need, God wants to use trustworthy other people to bring us to a place of healing. And Mm -hmm. often that's with a lot of unmet needs coming out of childhood, being met in legitimate ways through uh, maybe a recovery group or an inner healing group like Living Waters and even in counseling. Um, So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. What was helpful about the small group context um, in Living Waters particularly was that it was boundaried and it was confidential. And so what that meant was um, there were uh, protections in place so that I, for example, coming in, dealing with same-sex attraction and also a history of emotional dependency, which is really relying inordinately on one person. Um, Like we weren't allowed to be friends with the other members of our group. And while that seemed restrictive, it was actually protective in that Mm -hmm. I could come to group, focus on what uh, I felt like the Lord was doing And then um, go home and not have to worry about other people, worry about what they were thinking about me, if that makes sense. Um, And that was really the first time. So that's boundaries. But then also, because it was safe and confidential, I was able to share my deepest struggles. And again, particularly with masturbation and fantasy. And also, um, yeah, just really the shame I felt about uh, my same sex attraction. 
And, um, and so as I learned more about, you know, maybe some ways that my upbringing influenced me, uh, towards, uh, emotional dependency and same-sex attraction with women, I was able to, uh, really enter into those places, those wounds, um, with my small group and they were able to pray for me. And I was able to meet Jesus, uh, in those places. I felt particularly, um, blocked in terms of being able to kind of access God on my own. Mm. Uh, again, I think shame was a block there. Um, also I really viewed, even though I wasn't conscious of it, I kind of put God into the same category as my dad, which was, he was absent, passive. Um, and if I went to him with a need, was he actually going to be there? And I think my default mm. assumption was that he wasn't going to be there. So being part of that small group really helped me. Um, be able to enter in to the presence of the Lord. I got to be honest, like even today as a leader in Living Waters, um, praying with my sisters or praying with my brothers and sisters on the team, I can enter into the Lord's presence um, pretty easy. And that's really a gift of, of mm -hmm. community and, and particularly small groups um, that are safe and confidential where everyone is willing to be vulnerable about their brokenness. Yeah. Um, and so then what, what's interesting is I had gone into Living Waters as um, an international affairs major, and I was working for um, a congressman at the time, and, um, and I was kind of the low person on the totem pole, if you will, like the staffer at the front desk answering all the phone calls that nobody wants of people nobody wants to talk to. And <laughs> um, and I wasn't very happy, but I thought, OK, this is my ticket. Just get your foot in the door and then you'll kind of rise up. Right. You know, climb the ladder, if you will, mm -hmm. in terms of politics or, or whatever. And so it was in Living Waters that God really began to put a call on my life to help other people with mm. sexual and relational brokenness. And so Living Waters was really the reason that I decided to pursue a counseling degree. Going in to my master's in counseling, I felt like I was 10 steps ahead of everyone else because Living Waters really does a great job of looking at, you know, stages of development and family dynamics and, mm -hmm. and all of the things that really all of us grow up in. Um, and so the reality is, is that none of us grew up in a perfect family. And that's okay, but we just need to deal with, we need to face the reality of, of the things we didn't get, um, mm -hmm. or things that were given to us that never should have been given to us. Labels, yes. um, shame, abuse, uh, things like that. So there's a real place, I believe, in the body of Christ for solid Christ-centered counseling. And whether that's a lay counseling ministry um, with P 
people in the body of Christ who, who really have gifts of mercy and exhortation and really want to walk alongside people through their, their struggles. Um, and they've been trained, um, with a, with a solid, you know, lay counseling program. I think that's awesome. Um, I mean, church and you, Gary and I, you and I talk about this all the time, um, Mm -hmm. that church is really our second chance at family. Mm, Um, and actually in a minute, I'll tell you about, I'll recount that's one story, um, of really where a small group, a church, small group was just foundational to my healing process. Um, Mm -hmm. but I also think that there's a place for Christ centered clinical counseling, which is what I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have pursued extensive training in counseling and psychology from a Christian perspective and also incorporating and integrating uh, listening prayer and healing prayer, um, and other spiritual interventions that have been so helpful from like Neil Anderson's steps to freedom in Christ and other spiritual warfare, um, things, uh, so forgiveness, I mean, things like that. And so I, I don't want people to overlook that, um, you might need some professional Christian counseling. And that just because, and and this is important, just because someone says that they're a Christian counselor doesn't necessarily mean, not that they're not Christian, they they may, they hopefully are Christian personally, but how are they integrating that into their professional practice, if that makes sense? And, Mm -hmm. um, And that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is Jesus is the answer. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but just saying that is not enough. Like people are blocked for whatever reasons. And we can talk about what some of those reasons are. I think attachment blocks, you know, attachment ruptures is a big one. Um, Mm -hmm. and so they're not able, they're disconnected from God. They're disconnected from other people. They're disconnected from themselves who God's created them to be. And so just acquiring more knowledge like Jesus is the answer. Of course he is. But, but what's blocking you? What's blocking the person from being able to receive that? Right. And so Mm -hmm. my passion is to help people, uh, you know, work through and uncover and get rid of those blocks to, uh, becoming more of who God's created them to be. Hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you mentioned that you were going to share a little bit about what happened in that, uh, in, in one situation that happened in a group dynamic, I think, or in a a Bible study dynamic. Yes. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. Sure. Yeah. So this was the first Bible study I had been invited, which I think is so important. So I had been, um, heard about a, a, a church meeting in a movie theater in DC. And I think I had started attending. But then there was this young adult, uh, this other woman who invited me to come to her Bible study. And that was what it took to get me plugged in. Um, and I think that's so important is how many people are just waiting for an invitation, um, to belong really. And so I began to, uh, study the Bible with, um, this group of, and it was men and women, and we were all relatively same age. You know, this is like early twenties 
And, but at the same time that this was going on, I was, so I was in living waters and there was a lot of stuff coming up. And again, I had a lot of shame. And so I didn't tell anybody uh, from that Bible study about my same-sex attraction or about my struggle with masturbation. Um, and so sometimes I would come in to the Tuesday night group just carrying a lot of shame and feeling unworthy and like a bad Christian. And one night, the shame was so heavy that as they began worshiping, I was like, I thought to myself, I've got to get out of here. Like, I can't stay. Like, I just feel like crap. And so I got up and made a beeline for the front door. And the, one of the women that lived at the house caught me before I got out the front door. And she said, what's going on? You know, like, hmm, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I just need to go. And, and she's like, well, why don't you come in the back and tell me about it? And so she took me um, uh, to like the back porch. I mean, this is like a row house in DC. And I don't even know, it was some room. Um, and, uh, and so I just started telling her, I don't even think I told her the whole story, but I just told her how much shame I was carrying. And she uh, opened the Bible and began reading Romans 8. Uh, out loud to me and putting my name in, in the scripture where it says, you know, cause of course Paul is, is saying that therefore there is now no condemnation for you, right. Or for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and so she's telling me, she's like, there is no condemnation for you, Melissa, um, because you are in Christ Jesus. And so she just began reading that whole scripture and putting my name in it. And I mean, it was just amazing how much that helped me and how much that broke, in a sense, that shame that I had been kind of laboring under. I wasn't even laboring. I was like about to collapse, right? Like I was giving in. And she really um, lifted me up in, in, terms of the, in terms of that. And so no one had ever done that. I mean, I was at this point a pretty new Christian. Um, I'd only been saved maybe two years, but hadn't really been able to get plugged in to a small group in that way. And, and they just, I feel like I tell people that they prayed me through <clears throat> living waters without even knowing anything about it. And they knew yep. that when I felt safe enough that I would open up about my struggles and, mm -hmm. uh, and eventually I did, you know, so it just that that is like a touch point um uh in my healing journey like i look back on that day and just the kingdom impact that that friend made yes yep well it's such a great example of something we often talk about in terms of the need for the body of christ to become more equipped uh more equipped but but not just equipped for their hearts to really be sensitized and broken for the brokenness of others. And the idea that that a person's heart being moved, for example, your friend, this woman, she could have just 
sat there and saw you, you know, moving toward the door and just thought, well, it's awkward. I don't want to say anything to her, which is what, you know, I think happens most of the time is people will just kind of assume that, um, well, I don't, what am I going to say? What are they going to say back to me? And so we already have something kind of going on here. So I'm just going to kind of stay with this kind of group situation that's happening. Mm. And instead she decided to actually step in and intervene. And of course, you know, if you'd absolutely insisted or whatever, and she would have moved and let you go. But to just give an opportunity to say, wait a minute, I see you. Um, I'd love to talk with you more. And I would love to get kind of to the bottom of this a little bit and mm. just, just come on, you know, um, how much, how powerful it would be if, uh, and I, I, the phrase I think of when I, when I think of what she did for you is this idea of having eyes for others mm. and, and coming to church rather than coming to, um, to critique the message necessarily or to critique how loud the worship is or whether it's my favorite song or it's the one I can't stand or whatever, or it's all three that I can't, whatever the situation, um, that we actually are coming with this sense of, yes, I want to meet mm. with the Lord. And yes, I, my, my soul needs to be fed too. But am I coming also looking for where the Holy Spirit might prompt me to step into a situation with somebody who has a need? And I think if we, if we had more of that mindset, there would be a whole lot more ministry that would be happening in an organic kind of way in our church, uh, even even on Sunday mornings, you know, where it's not the most conducive to kind of individual ministry. And yet how much could actually happen in that place uh, when, uh, you know, where somebody has eyes for others or where more of us have that perspective. But certainly in Bible study settings and men's groups and women's groups and those kinds of things, such a critical thing to have that that awareness and that keenness to just be on the lookout for people that are hurting and people that need um, that need a word of encouragement. You know, I just think too often we're just kind of stuck mm-hmm. in our own world. We're stuck in our own. In many cases, we're stuck in our own sin issues and our own shame, and so we're not going to bother bringing up somebody else's because it's kind of the don't don't ask, don't tell rule. You don't talk to me about my stuff. I won't talk to you about yours. But that's such an unfortunate place for so many Christians to um, uh, acquiesce to. You know. Well, that's what I was going to say, and you beat me to it. Which is, I think the reason. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing new, honey. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. No. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Mm. Um, that I think a lot of Christians don't pursue other people in their pain because right. they're avoiding their pain. Yes. And we're afraid that getting close to someone else's pain is going to bring up my stuff. So I think yep. that's definitely part of it. And so then we we gear towards staying in our heads and just acquiring more information or trying to push that information on someone else. Debating and theology. Debating yeah. theology or, you know, telling them they just need to read this or believe more or mm-hmm. pray harder. Um, and I and in a sense, mean well but really not helping. Um, and then, so yeah, so one is avoiding our own pain or on the, on the opposite side, we're so caught up with ourselves that we're not aware of what other people are going through. Right. Right. And so we're self-consumed 
And that kind of introspection, you, you and I have talked about this. Leanne Payne calls it the disease of introspection, where yes. we're just navel gazing and looking inward and trying to analyze and figure ourselves out. We're mm-hmm. not getting any better because we're usually not in community, right? That goes right back to what yeah. we're talking about. And so then yep. not only are we stuck, but then we all we do is talk about ourselves. We talk about our brokenness and we're not paying attention to what other mm. people are going through. And we're not empathetic to how yes. we can help someone else. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I was just reading this morning in Leviticus and I'm not always thinking I'm going to find some deep spiritual thing in Leviticus, which, you know, shame on me. There's lots of good stuff in there. But um, one of the things that, one of the verses, uh, God was was talking to Moses and and saying, I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And and the phrase that really caught me mm. was um, that that you could stand upright. And I thought, oh, that that idea, that that imagery of standing upright. Of course, that's a lot of the language of living waters. And and you also mentioned um, uh, Leanne Payne and mm-hmm. and reminded me of it in what you just said because so often we're either bent into ourselves, this navel gazing and and so introspective that we miss others, or we're bent towards somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we're and but still being bent towards somebody else isn't for their benefit. It's usually for my benefit. Uh, even if it's even if we are uh, um, trying to meet a need in that person, it's so often it's not always, but so often it's about I, I want you to meet something in me. And so I'm going to do something for you. Mm-hmm. And, and we get into this and you mentioned the word earlier. Um, I don't, you didn't say emotional enmeshment. I can't remember what the, what the phrase emotional was. Emotional dependency. Yeah, probably that was, yeah, that's what it was. And this idea of, of having an overattachment to one person. But, but when I read that in Leviticus this morning about being set free from our chains and bondage so that we can stand upright, mm. Uh, he's talking specifically about this situation of being set free out of Egypt. And yet we know that Egypt really is um, this type of sin, this type of being in bondage, this type of being in bondage to ourselves, to our flesh, to Mm -hmm. the enemy. Uh, and, And so as God sets us free, he sets us free from sin and breaks the power of sin. That's really what salvation is about. It's not just that salvation is about the fact that when we die, we go to heaven mm-hmm. one day. That's glorious and wonderful. But the the good news now is that um, salvation and the gospel breaks us free from the power of sin so that we can now, in our bent position, can stand upright before God. And we have fellowship now in a way that we didn't before in a, in a clearer way and a more um, uh, significant way. And then also we have eyes then that aren't bent toward ourselves or toward an idol of another person, but we can see the community. We can see others around us. And I, I, so I just, I love what you're talking about there. And I think that's one, again, one of the dynamics of a group when, when we really come into a group, what I've experienced and and you have too, the people are hungry to be involved in groups that are actually dealing with real issues and not just rehashing or just going through the the mechanisms of learning more information uh, or or blowing the dust off of old information, but rather, where are we really at? What are we really wrestling with as men, as women, as brothers, as sisters? How can we really genuinely support one another in our desire to become, because I, I'm convinced that all of us have a desire because God put it there 
to become, to become more than we yes. are now. And and yet so often we've just settled for, as C.S. Lewis talks about, making uh, mud pies in the slums because we have no idea of what an offer of a vacation or a holiday at the at the sea would even look like. Mm-hmm. And so we we stay in those places playing around with drink and sex and whatever else because, again, we just can't envision it. So that's one of the things I think that groups are so powerful at and also what what a solid growing therapeutic relationship with a christian counselor can mm-hmm. can help with too is casting vision for one another casting i mean the counselor isn't receiving vision but casting vision the group can be casting um some biblical vision for how life can be different and what god can do in our lives and as each person um moves closer to and experiences breakthrough in their lives they're they're able to share that and give others hope. But when we're living by ourselves and just kind of going through the motions of religion, whatever that, even if that's a Sunday ritual of church, and and I'm I'm all about that. I think it's a very good thing. But it needs to be more than just a ritual. It, we need to be getting into one another's lives. Absolutely, and I think Leanne Payne also talks about the reality that our true self will not come as long as we're looking for it. Yes. but only as we're looking to him to tell us, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. we're, we're as humans so good at looking to books and now podcasts and and this, that, and the other as kind of the source of the information that's going to change us. But mm-hmm. information alone cannot change anyone. Even rules like cannot change. It'll change behavior for a while, but it won't actually engage and change our heart. And so we Mm -hmm. really need that uh, intimate relationship with God to, um, to learn at a heart level, right? At a, at an emotional level. And we need that um, to, to learn who we are, who he's created us to be. Mm-hmm. And, but what's interesting is, is he never meant for it only to be us and him? Yeah. Um, because, you know, as you know, in Genesis, uh, I mean, Adam was with God, right? And he had the garden, and he had all the animals and the birds and the plants. And, and what did God say? God said, it is not good that man is alone. Like, right. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so even, yeah, so you know what I'm trying to say is that, is that we were never intended by God to be just with God. And of course yes. that has to be primary, but, but part of how we work that out is with other people and vice versa, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Yeah. We were talking, you and me and the boys were talking, I think it was yesterday, the day before, and just some of our, our family Bible time about that very thing. I'm trying to think of the the passage that we were, oh, it was in, it was in first, first John, John chapter one. Yep. And about, um, just the, this symbiotic relationship that God designed us for that he's primary, but, but that doesn't mean that by any means, uh, that, that we have an exclusive relationship with him that doesn't involve anybody else that to the degree that we have a solid and growing relationship with God, we should be having other um, deepening relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And and certainly that would be true of our family dynamics. I mean, sometimes we emphasize brother and sister relationships in the body of Christ and, and 
uh, to the detriment or to the uh, just ignoring how damaged uh, the the marital relationship is between husband and wife or how fractured the the parent child relationship is in the home and so we often talk about the fact that our home is our first mission field our family is our first mission field now god calls us to extend beyond that but that is the 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 priority in relationship to right. him and the home and and family and um you know, I was t- talking to somebody very recently, and it just reminded me of countless conversations I've had before, and I know you have as well, of people, and this is very much where I was at at one time too, where where I I came to, to faith in Christ, and I was even growing and in in faith and and discipleship mm-hmm. and and experiencing that growth, and yet still wrestling with some other. Um, areas of, particularly in the area of like sexual sin or fantasy or pornography and those kinds of things. And, um, but, but also, I mean, there were just attitudes of my heart, you know, whether it's pride or it's um, uh, being uh, critical of myself, self-hatred, those kinds of things. And in some of what I I couldn't understand for the longest time is I I don't understand how I can be a Christian, how I can desire to pursue Christ, how I can be making use of the means of grace of scripture and prayer and going to church on Sunday and doing the Bible study stuff. Of course, even while I was doing a lot of this, I was completely ignorant of the fact that God had called us into these really, these deeper relationships in the body of Christ because it was never, that was, I don't think that was ever taught when I was Mm. young. But I was just thinking of this conversation recently, and the person was kind of wrestling with some of the same questions or some of the same thoughts. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I thought this would actually solve coming, becoming a son of God, uh, entering into the body of Christ, uh, receiving Jesus as my Savior and Lord, and working to live that out. I thought that would really resolve all of these issues. And and what I'd shared with them, and I, I want you to comment on this and get your thoughts on it. But what I shared with them is, well, it, again, sometimes we confuse that that forgiveness that only comes from Jesus alone on the basis of his sacrifice on the cross for us in our our acknowledgement of our sin, our repentance. We confuse that forgiveness for, which is what 1 John 1, 9 talks about, mm. confessing our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us. We confuse his forgiveness with what um, with what James five sixteen talks about, which is confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. And so we confuse healing with forgiveness and assume that it's all kind of a part of the same thing. And I'm saying this to ask you in terms of like Christians who are wrestling, people watching or listening to this podcast who maybe have been Christians for years. I think of my mom sometimes as a as an older person wrestling with some things even of her of her childhood um, and and needing to work those out even later in life in a, in a counseling setting, in a prayer setting. So what would you say to someone who's listening to this and who has been feeling maybe some condemnation or some doubts about their salvation or uh, just doubts in general about how can I still as a Christian woman or man, young person, be struggling with these things when I've put my faith in Christ? What am I doing wrong? What would you say to that person? Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up. That's a great, great, topic, right, to pursue. I do think it's important. I think you mentioned this um, earlier in this podcast that when we accept Jesus um, as our personal Lord and Savior, right? And I mean, Jesus dying on the cross, he conquered the power of sin, 
mm-hmm. right? But, or excuse me, he conquered, well, the power of sin and the, and the ultimate penalty for sin. But that doesn't mean we don't live in a sinful world. So I do think that until we go to meet Jesus in heaven, that we will struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, first of all. Mm-hmm. So I do think that in us um, is this sin nature where we do need um, present grace uh, to overcome uh, the temptation to sin. Um, and we need grace to receive forgiveness when we do sin, and we confess that, right? And so I think there's the sin issue, but then there's the wounding issue, right? There's wounds that we carry um, as a result of living in a fallen world. And that's really where I see that um, as we pursue healthy relationships in the body of Christ, it's that's when the Lord can bring up those wounds that could be driving our struggles with certain sins. And so, um, the way I tell people, my clients especially is look, it took you a lifetime to get here. Mm -hmm. So can we give Jesus a little bit of time to work it out? It's not going to take you the rest of your life necessarily, but it might take some time to Mm -hmm. kind of undo in a sense, um, the wounds and, and things that you've, you've picked up. And especially when, there's been damaged, I think, patterns of relating or due to trauma, there have been actual ruptures in, in again, attachment in particular, which that yes. gets in the way of, of being able to enter into relationships fully um, and, to, and to begin to learn how do I trust and how am I, um, if I am known, is that, a, is that a good thing or will I be embarrassed or humiliated or shamed? So I do think it's important um, for our listeners to keep in mind that um, while our salvation is secure in terms of it's boom, like like we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God's son whom he loves, right? Like, (laughs) um, so there's an immediate, transfer into the kingdom of heaven, but we're not there yet. And so Mm -hmm. while, you know, I remember years ago hearing a teaching about Ephesians and this idea that we are spiritually seated with Christ in the heavens. And yet that is not our experience here on earth. And so we have to keep in mind that tension um, that we're not quite, we're not there yet. That doesn't mean we can't experience, um, bits of eternity and we need to keep eternity in mind, but how can we do Mm -hmm. that now? Right. And so can we be, um, like courageous about getting healed (laughs) so that we can impact God's kingdom by helping others, right? Get healed and freed up. I mean, the goal, and we, this is another thing we talk about, right? A lot is that the goal of our healing is not just so you can go on and either get married and have the 2.5 children and the white picket fence around your nice little house. And that's it, right? It's like, no, 
Um, and especially in this day and age, like God is raising up an army of people, right? A prophetic witness of, of those mm -hmm. whom he has delivered from the darkness of sexual and relational brokenness. And, um, and we don't, yeah. we don't have all the answers, but, but we know what it's like to follow Jesus out mm -hmm. of what feels good and what feels natural and what feels comfortable. I mean, I always think about Egypt, right? Going back to what you were saying about Leviticus. Um, I mean, how often did the Israelites cry and wished they could have gone mm -hmm. back to Egypt. Right. It wasn't that it was such a great place, even though they kind of idealized it. It was that it was comfortable. It was familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, the narrow path is definitely to take the risk of being yes. known. Um, but it's in being fully known that we are, can be fully loved. And that's, you know, yeah. that's, I steal that from you, that, that idea. Yeah, and I want to come back to something that you said, Melissa, just about this idea that we aren't just healed for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm sure that I've mentioned this in other podcasts or with other people that I've talked to, but it's so important that that I just want to kind of explore that a little bit is I think so often we do think or people can think, well, I'm, I have my freedom now and so I'm just going to kind of live into that. And, and it reminds me, a lot of the parable of the talents and how, you know, one of the, one of the guys, uh, out of the three went and buried his, hit this talent. And of course we can confuse the money that was given to him, the gift that he had with, um, with a particular kind of talent. Um, maybe that's true, maybe not, but the point is he took what the master had given him that the master expected him to make use of and to even grow and improve it. And he went out and just dug a hole and buried it. And I think as Christians, sometimes uh, we can we can actually be that way rather than, and you mentioned the word risk. Risk is a part of that, this fear of risk, this fear of of failure, this, this uh, whatever insecurities we might carry with us, there's need for us to press into these places. And, and again, we can't do it alone. If, if, and, and the, the word, I was having a little bit of trouble remembering exactly what I wanted to talk about, but the word that you mentioned is familiar. Hmm. That they wanted to go, Israel, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt because there was familiar, familiarity there. And I think as Christians, we really can wrestle with that as well, that I, I, I don't feel, I feel more comfortable um, in isolation, or I feel more comfortable scrolling through Netflix with a glass of wine or multiple glasses of wine every night, or I feel more comfortable um, turning to my pantry rather than going out and being around people who I'm not familiar with, who I think they're going to judge me because of my weight or because of um, something else about myself that I, I don't, maybe I don't fit in with them the same way that I assume others fit in in this group. And so that, that sense of the familiar, even mm. if, even if we're drowning in it, even if we're miserable in it, we can so easily allow the enemy to just pull that blanket, that heavy laden blanket of familiarity over us. And we just slumber some more. And, and instead we need to be throwing that off and deciding to press in together with others into those uncomfortable places to find deeper freedom so we can be equipped to help others as well. I think that's a huge challenge, especially in a comfort-saturated, pleasure-saturated society 
it's a it's a challenge. I think in other parts of the world, it's not as big of a deal. Uh, what I'm talking about this familiarity thing uh, is it is here and in, 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 in places where there is a greater degree of decadence and a greater degree of of comfort that we've become accustomed to. What are your thoughts about that? Absolutely, I would I would agree. There's um, a lot of hard work that needs to go into pursuing. Uh, relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. I do think, and I think that that's multiplied since COVID. I think we all got very, very comfortable uh, staying home and being um, entertained and only connecting uh, virtually in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that our anxieties and fears were um, played upon and heightened during that time as well. And, and yeah, the reality is, is there's no guarantees. That's why I use the word risk. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, in order for me to be fully known and fully loved, I have to put myself out there. So I have to give people something to know (laughs) and therefore something to hopefully love. Or, you know, they may reject me, um, but if I stay home, then the the outcome is guaranteed uh, in that sense. And so, and and I'm not um, a starry-eyed, you know, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but I'm not um, clueless to the fact that uh, that relationships are hard. Like, the, and you and I have talked about this, that, mm-hmm. um, being in helping professions, right? Like being ministers, really, um, mm-hmm. it is very easy for that to become one-sided. And, um, right. and so it's been hard to find, uh, relationships that are mutual and, Um, and there've been hurtful experiences for sure, uh, where, Mm -hmm. and, and the, the most, the least hurtful, I guess, would be the ones that just never kind of got off the ground. Right. It's like, oh, I met somebody. I thought, oh, this is going to be a great friend. You know, Mm -hmm. I really like them, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like a non-starter for whatever reason. Right. Right. But then it's, um, it's actually the relationships that have taken the most work and there's been conflict and there's been hurt feelings and, and we've come back to talk about it. Like, it's like, those are some of my closest friends now. And, um, and it's because we were on the same path and we're pursuing Christ, but we're also wanting the best for the other person. We want Mm -hmm. what God wants for them. We're not, I'm not trying to keep that person all to myself, even though that would have been my tendency in the past. Right. And, and even now to some degree, like I would love to just Mm -hmm. have that friend be my only friend and be there at my every beck and call, you know, but Mm -hmm. that's not the way it works and that's not healthy. So, um, yeah, so I'm totally on board with what you're saying. I think it's really challenging to, um, step out of our comfort zone and yeah, and, and reach out to others. And I can also think of, even as I say that, I think of clients of mine who they would say, you know, well, I'm always the one initiating. I'm always the one asking. 
And, um, and, and, and I think this is really important to say, um, it's often singles, especially in our culture today, it's single Christians Mm-hmm. who, when they're maybe young adults, they've got lots of friends. And then as the friends get married, it's bye-bye. Yes. And all yep. of a sudden, this Christian, you know, person who hasn't had the opportunity yet to meet um, their wife or husband, um, I mean, they're left alone. Uh, and it's like, and nobody's giving them a second thought. And this goes into right. something that we also talk about a lot. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot. But the idea that part of real community in the body of Christ is doing life together, like actually yep. doing life together, not talking mm-hmm. about it, not reading Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book and not not actually or reading it and using it. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like actually doing life together and thinking mm-hmm. about, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, having eyes for others in your church who may be going home after church to no one. Right. Right. And it's like, right. what would it cost you to invite them to go to lunch, invite them over to your home for lunch? And, mm-hmm. and even if you have kids, even if the baby is fussy, like, I think that person, I mean, they can always say no, but they can't invite themselves, you know? I mean, yes. I mean, although yes. I would encourage people to do that, but if nobody's offering, but I really think this is so important mm-hmm. is yeah. being mindful of those um, in the body. And so this would, of course, be divorced people, widows, mm-hmm. um, single moms. Um, can we get past our own families for those of us that are married um, and s- certainly married with kids? And can we look outside of ourselves for the men and women around us who really need um, family? They need family. And, and you don't have to be perfect in that. And so, not at all. Um, it's so discouraging when, and I don't know why, but in particular, what's coming to mind is singles are, uh, they always feel, um, passed over, looked over, um, just not even seen, um, and, or yes. that they're the ones always reaching out to their married friends. And they're always busy. They say, my friends are always busy. Like, mm-hmm. like before they got married, like this was the, the friend that I would go on vacation with, or I would, right. I would go up to her family's cabin. Right. But then there's a life change. And of course it's understandable. Like if, when you get married, you do need that season, you know, to, to really mm-hmm. build that unity with your new spouse. Um, and when you have a baby, it's chaotic, but at the same yeah. time, um, and this goes back to what we've already been talking about. It's not, is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not all about you and what's comfortable. So mm-hmm. I just think it's really important to keep in mind, um, yeah, the people around you and who might be going home to an empty house or an empty apartment and yeah. be facing a holiday alone, things like that. 
Yeah, I mean, as you're sharing all of that, what's going through my my head is um, is the f- the phrase of a song, and I, I don't know, I don't remember the name of it. You probably do know the name of it, but the the phrase going through my mind is, "I'll make room for you to do whatever you want to." Mm. Um, you know, it's this this yeah. song to God, you know, to do whatever you want to, and and the I wonder, you know, we sing so many times the words. And I think, you know, we know that when God uh, has said in Psalm 68, 6, that he takes the lonely and puts them in family, mm-hmm. uh, that that the heart of God, the nature of God is that we, that we're together, mm-hmm. that we, that we are a family, that we belong to him, certainly as, as those within the body of Christ. And we are his sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So how are we, how are we making room for God to do whatever he wants to when it comes to I mean, I think of, I often reference Rosaria Butterfield's book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Mm-hmm. How are we making room in our lives? And, or like you mentioned, the idea of um, of going up to somebody and inviting them over for lunch. And I think that's a really great thing. But how, how much more important than that being maybe a one-off? And, and that's good. But what about thinking about, hey, how can I, how, how can I, I think about my friends, Dave and Kathy, Dave did a, did a podcast episode with us earlier, Dave Cottrell. And, and they, when I lived uh, here in the Phoenix, Arizona area years and years ago and lived with them for a period of time, Dave and Kathy, after, um, after church every single Sunday, it was a standing um, invitation. They would go to the, uh, to the food court in one of the malls here and, and gather tables. And sometimes there were two tables or three tables. Sometimes there were 10 tables uh, that were put together because there were so many people that gathered afterward. And so my point in that is they made people aware that, hey, we're going to be here and we would love for you to come and to hang with us, but also for you to get to know one another more. Mm-hmm. And there were all kinds of conversations happening around in different parts of, the, uh, you know, around the table and all that kind of thing. But it was this invitation that we're going to be an anchor. And so every week you can know that you're invited to our house or you can know that we're going to go to the food court at the mall or you can, you know, whatever. And so whatever that looks like for people, but, but how much more, how much, how powerful it is rather than only doing a one-off on occasion that we actually orient our lives around having eyes for others and around building community and around drawing people out and letting them know that we're safe places for them to share anything with and to be prayed for so that we can walk with them and, and see real healing take place in their lives. And I think those of us who've received that, mm-hmm. I've been a huge recipient of that. Right. You've been a recipient of that. It's God's desire that we, with the comfort that we ourselves have received from him, that we we pass that comfort on to others as well. So um, yeah, I mean, just some of the thoughts around uh, groups and discipleship relationships. I mean, we could spend, and we could do, and Becky and I uh, did a podcast together, a couple of podcasts, and we talked about singleness. I think it was in the second episode a while back. And we could do multiple conversations and episodes on singleness. It's such an important topic and how we relate to that and how we care for those who are single, not just for those who are single who will be married one day, but for those who have been called into a vocation, uh, a ministerial vocation 
of, and part of that vocation is singleness. Like mm-hmm. they don't have a disease. They don't need to be hook, hooked up with somebody or fixed up with somebody. They need family who's going to walk with them for the rest of their lives. And, and that that's not on any one person, but that's a right. part of the body of Christ. How do we set that up? How do we uh, make our churches and our, our Christian homes more accommodating um, for the sake of others? But the truth is, those who open up their homes wind up receiving the greatest degree of blessing, I think, so often beyond what the individuals receive by being invited in. So it's this mutual growing together and mutual encouragement as we press into these places. So whether for those who are listening or watching, it, whether you feel stuck in a place mm. and and you're isolated and you 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 have all kinds of trust issues, you've heard me say in the past, you've been following us for any length of time. All of us have reason for trust issues. Some of us have massive reasons for trust issues. And yet we are still called because there are still people. There are people in the body of Christ, men and women who are far from perfect, but who are whole enough that they they are trustworthy. They're not perfect, but they are trustworthy and they they can love well and they can they can love well enough to bring healing and wholeness into your life. But if we allow a few really awful experiences, and sometimes for some of us, it's one experience and we allow that experience to really dictate, well, all men are this way or all women are this way or all Christians are that way or the church goes, goers are this way or all churches, all they do is ask for money. But whatever we've adopted that stands um, stands up, it may feel to us like it gives us justification, but the truth is it winds up being a roadblock to our growth and our continuing to mature in Christ. So wherever you're at, you might get back into church again, find a Bible-believing church, find uh, a, a Bible-believing church that actually wants to go deeper in its relationships and, and fellowship. They want to live, uh, they want to do what Melissa was talking about, the, the Bonhoeffer book, Life Together. They really want to do life together. Find those kinds of, um, that kind of a church and get involved in it and 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 begin to uh, become comfortable in that place. Give yourself some time maybe for that. Have some conversations with leadership and let them know, you know, maybe where you're at a bit after you've been there for a while. Or if you've been in church for a while and you just feel like you're going through the motions, get involved in a small group. And you know what? You might have to try three or four or five small groups. Don't just bounce from one to the other, one week to the next, but give it three or four weeks and see if there's something that's that's deeper in this group. If not, Maybe have a conversation. Maybe maybe they don't know that there's there mm. they could go deeper. That people desire that more. But if half, after having the conversation, if it seems like yeah, we're kind of happy with the thing the way things are, and some groups are that way. They want status quo. They don't want to kind of rock the boat or go much deeper. Then find a group that actually does desire that, and find those friends. Find as as a woman, find some sisters. As a as a guy, find that those brothers, that band of brothers, and pray about it. Don't neglect to pray and ask God to bring these folks into your life and be intentional about looking for them because none of us are going to mature alone. None of us are going to mature in isolation. And the truth is, it isn't any fun. I mean, we need one another to really enjoy this journey in order to really bring color uh, to how black and white and gray life can be sometimes. We need relationships. And as Melissa said earlier, yes, we are broken in relationships, especially in our developmental years as children, in our young adulthood. Um, But the truth is, 
God wants to mm. uh, make us whole in relationships too, through whole enough men and women following after him. So we're so thankful that you t- uh, took some time to tune in here to another podcast of uh, the Love and Truth Network podcast. And so thank you. We look forward to seeing you in a future podcast. We hope this has been an encouragement to you. Melissa, thanks for joining us for this as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.